Hello, you're listening to Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better, and each episode I'll be talking to my guests about their epiphanies, their inspirations, and the magic of their workflow. And I'm joined on this episode by Alistair Har of Badass Unicorn. Hello, Alice. Hello, hello. I'm really excited to have Alice on the show. Alice was one of the first people I asked if she would join back when Do Yourself a Favour was a very, very small, not quite worked out what it looked like idea yet. So really pleased we could make this work. Alex, would you like to tell everybody who you are and what you're... Sure thing, I will. So my name is Alice Tahar and I run a personal development bespoke boutique, all those fancy words, uh, personal development consultancy that is called Badass Unicorn. So I specialise in helping to ignite people's potential and that mainly takes the form of workshops that I run with corporate clients like Ocado and Gusto and I also run some public training programmes and do a tiny bit of one-to-one coaching on the side. Fantastic and I've got to ask about about your company name so tell us about the Badass Unicorn. So Badass Unicorn was basically a Frankenstein idea When I worked at Deliveroo, where I was for four years, I left there in May of last year, people kept asking me to talk about this super cool, fast-growing UK tech success story. And I loved public speaking. And so I was more than happy to get up on the stage and share about things. But I didn't want to talk about Deliveroo's marketing strategy at the time I was in, in the marketing team or the growth strategy. And so I wanted to talk about personal development. So I basically created this monster of okay what can we learn from companies like Deliveroo about growth and how can we apply that growth and those learnings to ourselves so that we can kind of emulate their success and uh, I did it for the first time at a conference back in must have been 2018 and it really bit and people seem to quite like this concept and this idea of how can we learn from these super cool innovative disruptive fast-growing businesses so I continued kind of talking on panels and conferences and podcasts and anyone that would have me and at that time I was doing this personal development thing as the side hustle a long time my full-time gig in, in the marketing team at Deliveroo and basically this name badass unicorn that I'd called the presentation just sort of stuck and so I went from having my website being www.alistahar.com and decided that I thought, okay, well, let's call it Badass Unicorn and see where that goes. And here we are now, three and a half years later, and it's my company name. Nice. I like the, I like when something becomes a, like almost accidental and becomes a little bit of a kind of hangover. And it's just like, that's going to, so Make Work Work Better was actually my, my last corporate team. That was like, we decided it was the purpose of the team and we had that on our huddle board. And I, I love the fact that somewhere in, in London Bridge, there is a very disused and probably like permanently scarred whiteboard that has Make Work Work Better still written on it. But it was kind of like, I wasn't really ready to let that go. You know, that still felt like it had some mileage in it. So it's, yeah. And there'll be tons of those things that don't stick, right? Tons of those ideas that don't materialize or they kind of fall by the wayside but then there are some of those ones that have that spark and that longevity Mm -hmm. and 
you're not sure which ones they're going to be necessarily at the beginning, but but they always kind of find their way through in the end, I think. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's always a lot of things that come out as being like like bad indie band names that you kind of like could forget about quite happily and before you, you land on the one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it could have been I could have told you the story that it was one of those porn star generator names where I, you know, pick the first letter of your dad's maiden name and this, that and the other and it come together. But it's not quite as uh, not quite as random as that. <laughs> so uh, do yourself a favour, which is also actually something that I had the name for way before I had the concept of the podcast. It's like so that, that, was, that was what my podcast was going to be called. I don't know what it's about yet. It's all about learning from experience and the things that make our lives easier. So I'd like to kick us off by telling us about something that you wish you'd learnt earlier. It's a big old question, isn't it? Mm. And it's something I'm going to share now that I haven't even mastered or completely learnt yet. But it's something that I think I'm on a journey to continuing to try and reinforce in my head, which is caring less about what other other people think about me. So I don't know about you, Tim, but I'm one of those people that can torture myself about people laughing at me behind my back or thinking that that video that I just posted on LinkedIn is cringe Mm. and worrying about the stupid thing that I said in a meeting or the fact that I've got a massive spot and I'm trying to cover it up. I spent a lot of my 20s and I don't want to be like, oh, I'm 33 and I've got it all figured out because I really don't. I'm still struggling with this thing. But caring a lot, a lot, a lot. And then I had this situation when I was at Deliveroo where I sort of, was essentially demoted I was leading marketing for a region and then they needed a director of marketing they said to kind of take over the role and I just wasn't quite ready for it and at that point I'd never been quite so embarrassed professionally in my life before and I think then it was like really okay now I'm really worried about what people think of me but I don't know maybe that like hitting rock bottom and being really embarrassed and really having something to care about because let's be honest it was a bit of a kick in the face right Mm -hmm. I think I kind of emerged from that a little bit freer to be like, okay, basically one of the worst things that I could have ever imagined happening. I mean, in the context of worst things, right. But Mm -hmm. pretty big career crisis has happened. How much worse can it get? So does it really matter if I put a video on LinkedIn or if I speak in this at this presentation or somebody says no to the business development pitch that I put forward? Mm -hmm. Probably not. So I dare say I haven't mastered the act of not caring about what other people think, but I have certainly come a long way in not letting it stop me from doing things anymore. Is there anything that can you, is there anything that you didn't do before you'd kind of had that realization where you realize now that actually, if you, if you'd learned that lesson sooner, you'd have done something differently. Is there anything that I didn't do? I've always been quite a bullshit type of girl I always had a bit of gumption about me so I I think I would typically continue putting myself out there Mm. but I can see people that I work with in particular people who do my courses let these things stop them from doing things so stop them from putting that post on LinkedIn stop them from asking for that promotion stop them from submitting that new business proposal stop them from launching that free workshop that they think about doing because they're so worried about Mm-hmm. what other people might think what if it doesn't work how embarrassing I'm going to look like I'm trying really hard so I think for me it was more a case of I would do these things but I would have this the inner critic the internal monologue the shitty committee whatever you want to call it just giving me a hard time all the time 
but fortunately for me I kind of think I had the self-confidence to persevere through it what I've learned about myself since and I give a workshop on how to have confidence is that while I have quite a lot of self-confidence trust in my abilities the reason that the inner critic is going so much is because actually my self-esteem is something that I need to work on so my sense of self-worth mm -hmm. and actually liking who I am so it was like I do these things but I kind of hate myself for it because I think oh god what a show off who does she think she is putting her head above the parapet etc 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 so does that answer your question a little bit yeah no and it, and it I I recognize some of it actually there's there's certainly parts of of my corporate career where and, and for me it was always where I had put a where there were maybe certain people in the organization who I'd kind of hung you know my next step or my future or whatever it is depends on what that person thinks of me and I kind of put that person in a particular kind of place and then I'd be just dissecting you know every conversation I had with that person I'd then walk away going oh, I can't believe I said such and such or and, uh, and it's and it just felt kind of like and you know they weren't thinking anything else of it they just they got their coffee quite happily and wandered back to the desk to think about something more important but it can really be it's incredibly distracting and can absolutely send you into a tailspin if your headspace isn't yeah. So there's this concept called spotlight syndrome. So we're all so self-involved that we think people care about our spot or the stupid thing that we said in a meeting mm -hmm. or what we said over the coffee machine. But the reality is whoever you were talking to, whoever's doing whatever they're doing is more concerned with their giant spot, their screw ups in the meeting, their stupid thing that they said mm -hmm. that they don't even have the time to worry too much about your trials and tribulations because they're too focused on their own so we get our knickers in a twist and make mountains out of molehills about these relatively small things when for the next person it didn't even compute yeah there was i forget where it was now but i remember seeing a talk and the presenter said that they always think of their their internal monologue as being a duck because it's really difficult to take a duck seriously and, and I quite like that, just like imagining. For some reason, when I think about that, the duck's wearing a hat and smoking a cigar. But <laughs> yeah, this, that is, I, I quite try, try and do that as much as possible, is kind of imagine that my inner critic is just... Yeah, you could do that. Some people give them a name. So mm -hmm. some, and I, I saw there's a guy called Steve Chapman, I think, who talks about drawing your inner critic and really visualizing that thing and that person mm. to almost make it real but also disassociate it from you because mm -hmm. that inner critic isn't isn't you it's mm -hmm. it's a part of you that's almost like looking down in the third person isn't it mm -hmm. yeah yeah our brains are extremely unhelpful a lot of the time aren't they this magnificent machine yes is this... flawed yeah yeah 100 percent. so Thinking about journey and thinking about the, the, the way that you moved through your career and now you're, you're, you're on this first personal development journey and, and this mission to, to bring personal development to, to other people. What was a, I, I often ask a book, but sometimes it could be a concept. What was something that kind of changed your, your direction or changed the way that you, you, you went about things? Yeah, so, I mean, that segues nicely from what we were kind of talking about before. And I dare say there's probably going to be a bit of a theme to this episode, I feel like, where it's about sort of mindset and resilience and all mm -hmm. of those things. But it's kind of, there are kind of two concepts and they are pretty similar, although they are different, but they represent the same 
thing really and it is about the inner voice the inner monologue so mm-hmm. the first personal development book i ever read was the chimp paradox have you, have uh, you read great it? book yeah great book absolutely amazing i always recommend to people to listen to it because mm. professor stephen peters who wrote it a has an amazing geordie accent and it's just a really <laughs> nice listen and b i personally find audiobooks much easier to digest for personal development than reading Thank them you. otherwise I, I find them a bit dense whereas i kind of enjoy them a lot more when I listen to them plus you could go for a workout or have a walk or cook dinner while you're listening so Mm -hmm. from productivity point of view win-win but I remember listening to that book and really starting to identify these different voices in my head in a way that I never had before and realizing that that negative voice that got FOMO and road rage and was very emotional and irrational and unreasonable and reactive was a part of me and in the book it's called The Chimp but that when I could recognize that voice listen to when it started to hijack me Mm -hmm. have a more constructive dialogue with it I could then make different decisions try and change my viewpoint take different future steps all because I didn't let that voice take over, Mm -hmm. which probably prior to reading the book, I would have been more ruled by the shitty committee or the the inner monologue than I am now. So there was that concept, which kind of maps to growth mindset, fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. So for anybody that hasn't come across those terms, fixed mindset being the idea that we have a finite amount of intelligence or capability that we can't grow. Whereas a growth mindset is all about the fact that we are evolving individuals who can develop and learn and become more expert at something. And it's kind of like a positive negative lens in the same way that the chimp is normally a bit more negative and the human, which is the other side of us, is a bit more positive. And again, just like with the chimp, you can catch yourself when you go into these different mindsets. Mm -hmm. So a fixed mindset being oh, I've just run a course. I've had not as many signups as I wanted. What's the bloody point? I'm not going to do that again. I'm a failure. It's, 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 it's all useless. Whereas a growth mindset person would go, I learned lots in the process. I still delivered tons of good value. What can I take from the learnings to apply next time so that I can have more success? Mm-hmm. This is all part of the journey. And so it's, just, it's really this concept of, which voice do you listen to? Mm -hmm. And it's natural for us to have fixed mindset moments or chimp days and to lose our cool sometimes. Mm -hmm. But it's about how do we talk back to ourselves once we've had one of those moments in order to be in a more productive and constructive place afterwards. There's something that I like loved about chimp paradox is that I think it, it's the root of so many things that in the personal development space or in, in the productivity space or in we see it a lot in sort of process right down to process improvement and and like teamwork and things like that where actually there's that it's the difference between like responding and reacting and being able to take out the you know engaging your grown-up brain before you kind of you you react um, with your chimp brain and it's just it, i find it fascinating how many of the things that how many of the different different books or different approaches or different methods that are out there essentially come down to managing these two parts of our brain that have, have evolved at different times to perform different functions and who haven't really worked out how to get on yet. 
Yeah, exactly. You've got systems one, systems two, you've got the inner child, you've got lots of different manifestations of mm -hmm. this core concept. And exactly, as you said, the chimp particularly is we're programmed to think like this. And with the reason that we're programmed to think like this is basically to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. The chimp came into existence 70,000 years ago when we were on the savannas and, you know, evolving from, from our ancestors to warn us about the fact that there was a massive saber-toothed tiger coming along and that we needed to either run or freeze, right? And these systems have been put in place in order for us to recognize those things. But actually, I don't know if you've read the book Sapiens, but the human species has evolved not very much in 70,000 years, physically, like mm -hmm. functionally, biologically, physiologically, considering how freaking different our lives look from <laughs> 70,000 years ago. And so we're still operating on this quite almost outdated, outdated iOS <laughs> operating system that is programmed for a different time. Mm -hmm. And so now, rather than being fearful about the saber-toothed tiger, we're fearful about redundancies, demotions, and all of the other things. But there are also things like fear of missing out is quite a natural thing for us to feel when we have evolved from chimps. Mm. We have a pack mentality. We don't want to get left behind because if you get left behind, you might die and you don't have all of the things that you get when you're part of your pack. So lots of the things that we respond to with the chimp are very natural, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a blunt instrument and it can't be something that we challenge to make more useful for ourselves mm -hmm. and live happier more fulfilled less ego driven lives right i think also the the part that plays in in bias and you know the topic of unconscious bias and looking at the way that we make judgments about people or we make judgments about situations all kind of comes back to the same thing doesn't it just like helping us make faster decisions at a time when we feel like it's and and it's all stems, as you say, from from a point where actually things were going to eat you, as opposed to you know maybe just like give you a bit of a side eye and lodge cue, you know. So uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How does the chimp come come across in sort of like pro productivity and process world? In productivity, it very much comes down to that sense of of reacting. So like latest and loudest, you know, that email comes in from that person and it immediately derails your day type thing. So you can find it in that sense of being and being able to like disconnect the the doing of the, your work from the from the, the kind of arrival of your work, if you like. So the point at which it arrives in your world and you have all the emotional reaction to it. If you can have a process of allowing yourself to then bring in your grown up brain and work out actually what is this thing and what do I need to do about it? as opposed to it just sitting in your inbox, staring at you and, and freaking you out, then actually what, being, being able to build that into your system is, is hugely helpful for not finding yourself overwhelmed by just, well, I've got all these things to do and I don't know which one to do first. And it's because everybody thinks that their email is the most important, but you're the one who's going to do it. So you have to make good decisions about it. Making good decisions is tiring. So you should try and do it at a point where you're not already kind of like, amped up on dopamine and your brain's like screaming at you. So, so from one perspective is that there's also a bit of a sense in, in process improvement and change that it's that s suspicion of change. 
is that idea that we've been when we've been doing things the same way for a long time there must be a reason that we're doing things the same way for a long time people tend to clam up and become quite defensive or protective if they think that there is the chance that something might change that would make things different even if that change is going to be positive for them in the long run the fact it introduces something that they don't understand immediately starts triggering people's chimps so then being able to address like acknowledge it but you know and sometimes it's kind of useful to let the chimps out a little bit and just get them to you know do a bit of work because you know they've got opposable thumbs they could get involved and then but then and you know and again just give the time to for like the the grown-up brain to, to to kick in and actually go well you know maybe if we did this differently or maybe we did this differently so yeah it's it's that initial response to a perceived threat i think in in all occasions which just stops our brains from functioning in any kind of helpful way yeah it sounds like you can definitely hear as you talk about the change thing the fixed mindset coming in of Mm -hmm. this is the way that we've always done it and I don't want to take any risks because what if that Mm -hmm. exposes me Mm -hmm. and the 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 threateningness of change is is very a very kind of natural sometimes but fixed mindset kind of point of view and I I do I remember watching a, a YouTube video about how to move people through a change process and there is actually a lot of value in the people that are perhaps loudly, not contradictory, but they have a lot of strong opinions and they're not necessarily positive about the change because at least they're engaged. Mm-hmm. It's the people that are like completely disengaged, have no, are completely apathetic to what's going on that perhaps is a little bit less easy. Yes, they're not being loud and bringing people, getting people to come out with sticks saying, we don't want to do this. But at least the people who are impassioned have some feeling towards mm-hmm. whatever you're doing and hopefully you can then sort of change it in some way to be a little bit mm-hmm. more conducive to what you need them mm-hmm. to be feeling absolutely and they might be right you know that there could be an element of, of what they're saying which is which is actually right and needs to be factored in and yeah. taken into account and i think often the assumption is that people who are resistant to change are just like old-fashioned dinosaurs and but actually maybe there's something that they understand about the situation that you that the people who are responsible for the change haven't fully understood so i think it's mm. important to bear that in mind as well yeah totally so we're, we're moving into the the kind of recommendation section this is where we get a little bit of a lifting the lid on on your workflow and and, and how you go about doing things and so i'd like you to tell us about something that you can't live without a tool or a a tool or an object or a process or whatever it is that you use every day absolutely couldn't live without be lost so i have one that i use every day every week it's probably like productivity 101 mm. so i'm kind of intrigued what do you think of eisenhower's prioritization matrix ah i think it's useful as a triage mechanism i think there's an awful lot of stuff in your life that like, I'm not entirely sure where I would put the the lime descaler under my sink. I need to have there and you know use every now and again. And if I don't use it, you know everything's going to get all limey. I don't think it falls into any of the buckets. You know I mean? put that in non non urgent, non important. But I see what mm-hmm. you mean. It's it's obviously a bit of a blunt instrument. Blunt instrument I use yeah. that. I use that non urgent, non important as a little bit of a catch all. It's almost like mm-hmm. things that I need to remember. And I know some people treat that list as, right, get rid of it. Yeah. Because you have to adapt all these models to be useful for you, right? Mm -hmm. 
so for me, the way that I use the prioritization matrix, and you're right, I used to use it for triage exactly mm -hmm. then, and I used to find it so helpful to use for triage. Would you like but to explain now, a little bit about the, the Eisenhower matrix for anyone who hasn't come across? Yeah, absolutely. I was assuming that everybody that listened to this podcast would be productivity like aficionados, but <laughs> the, the Eisenhower's prioritization matrix is essentially thinking about your tasks and splitting them into sort of four segments. So you've got your urgent and important tasks, you've got your urgent and non-important tasks, your non-urgent and important tasks, and then your non-urgent and non-important tasks. So in theory, what you would do is you'd work your way through the urgent tasks sort of first, they're higher priority. Typically for me, the things that go in urgent and important are A, the things that need to be done today or tomorrow, mm -hmm but they're also the things that are going to move the needle or they're things that are related to money like get that invoice to the client because i think that you need to be prioritizing those things right follow the money mm -hmm. the things that probably sit in my non-urgent but important uh, sorry my urgent but non-important tasks maybe we can link to the matrix in the show notes so people can yeah, sure. actually see what we're talking about would be things like you know booking that train ticket or collecting those workbooks for the client and people often ask me oh well if it's urgent then surely it's important but it's more the like bitty things in going to move the needle but have some kind of immediacy that you need to see to mm -hmm. and then you've got your longer list in your non-urgent but important and a lot of people say to delegate these tasks so maybe you put some time in your diary to do them for later on that week or next week or whenever it might mm -hmm. be these are the things that are going to move the needle but they don't have to be done today or tomorrow they can wait and then the other one is it's sort of a catch-all where you'd put pick up dishwasher salt and mm -hmm. hear back from x client that has a proposal sent to them mm -hmm. those types of things so yeah i use that every week when i'm planning my week and i know some people use it as you say more of a, as a triage but for me it's just a helpful framework for me to know like what do i need to start with mm -hmm. and sort of towards the back end of the week hopefully you can tick off a few of those non-urgent but important tasks that, mm -hmm. that are on your list it's incredibly effective when people are really first starting to try and get their hands around everything that they've got in front of them actually just those four bu buckets and be able to go actually these are the things that i need to really concentrate on now if you're overwhelmed being able to put those things into buckets like that is, is hugely helpful and i'm very much with you that if if that's the approach you're going to make then I don't think you can do what a lot of the kind of popular versions of that matrix that you see posted on LinkedIn say, just like one of them, you just ignore, yeah. you know, because those non-important, yeah, those, those non-important, non-urgent tasks, if you ignore them at some point are going to possibly become important or urgent. You know, mm. if you don't, if you don't do the basic main, if you don't brush your teeth, you know, that's the, the act of brushing one's teeth feels neither important nor urgent, but it's going to become, fairly urgent um, and important if you continue to not do it and so I think yeah you have to be to treat even those non-important non-urgent aspects with uh, a bit of respect I think yeah and it's with all these things with all these models it's about treating them with a pinch of salt and making mm -hmm. them useful for you and applying them for yourself mm -hmm. and uh, 
I found it to be quite a useful framework to just kind mm-hmm. of get my head in gear and to process what I need to do and when, and also give myself permission to not panic about some of the things that are on the non-urgent, non-important yeah. list, but know that I'm not going to forget them. Like I used to have a Trello, I used to use Trello and I actually kind of had the, 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 the Eisenhower buckets on Trello. And then I'd okay. also have just a, a catch-all for, and I've moved between these because sometimes I like having the Trello board because you can just easily move stuff across. But there's something for me with the act of crossing things off mm-hmm. and rewriting them that just keeps this stuff top of mind as opposed to you just have this list of stuff that never moves anywhere because you're not reminded each week, oh, I, I, I'm writing out book this thing again. Mm-hmm. And then asking yourself, all right, does this really need to be on the list? Like if I don't buy dishwasher salt, is the dishwasher going to break or will my stuff just be a little bit streaky? <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's definitely that. I mean, one of the things that I really like about the getting things done weekly review, which is a step in, and it just is a similar kind of idea of every week you look at everything you've got on. And there's, a, there's always a question there for me is if I've not moved on this thing, am I actually going to do it? You know, why is it on my list in the first place? And sometimes it's just like set it up on a list because it felt like a good idea at the time. But maybe it needs moving on to a, you know, someday maybe list, or maybe it's just like, actually forget about it. You know, you're never going to get around to doing it. And that's okay. Yeah. The later base, I call Mm -hmm. it. Oh, nice. I like that. So what's the most recent shiny thing that's coming to your world? (laughs) What's what's the, the most recent toy or tool or habit that you've adopted that you've really seen some some benefit from so this is quite a specific one for me and with what I do but I bought a platform called Kartra and Kartra is a sort of all-in-one marketing platform so it does your CRM emails it can host your website you can do digital advertising through it you can host products on it and I'm probably only using about 15% of its functionality now but the intention is that I'm going to use a lot more of it but the really useful thing is that when you do what I when you do what I do and you have like a CRM list and you're posting videos and you need to host them somewhere and you're running courses and blah 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 you have lots of things happening in different places. So I had Mm -hmm. MailChimp posting my emails and then they'd sign up through a Google form and then that Google form and then And then I tried using Zapier, but for love nor money, I couldn't get those zaps to zap and do the right things Mm -hmm. because I'm not particularly tech savvy, but I'm also not a complete incompetent at it either. But I ended up deciding, right, I'm going to go for the all-in-one solution that is built for people that do what I do, running courses, building kind of like a thought leadership product Mm -hmm. where it's all been thought through And when that person signs up, they're tagged to that list. And then that talks to the CRM system and then they get sent that automated email and then they get put onto that sequence to drive, like getting to know me or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And like I said, I haven't used anywhere near the functionality that it has. And it was quite expensive, but even what I've done so far, like the time that I've kind of saved from having all these different systems, Mm -hmm. And having it in one place that sort of talks to each other has been really useful. So yeah, a really a really shiny bit of tech, and it's it's not flawless because whenever you have these programs that you haven't built yourself, you're having to work within somebody else's framework, and you're like, 
why won't you just do what I'm asking you to do? Like, what's wrong with it? And it's always something that you haven't appreciated because the system isn't set up to be bespoke to whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty helpful nonetheless. Cool. I think there's something really, there's something about what you just described there, which I've found as as I've been sort of getting into running my own business that you can start by using this tool over here and there's a free version of that tool so you can grab that and it's it's got some limitations but you know you can work around those for the time being and then you know there's this other thing that you could use that will do that job and they don't really talk to each other particularly well but you've not got that many people to copy and paste over each week so it doesn't actually make a big difference and you can probably manage with you know cobbling together two or three different platforms and then it does reach a point where it's kind of the it's a false economy what you've saved from using these different you know the you know the the different versions of these different tools ends up being the effort to pull them all together or the the kind of like invisible internet string that holds all of these things together like it breaks one day and suddenly you don't know what's going on with it and increasingly I, i can see how platforms that are designed to work together when you really want to be spending your time talking to clients and doing the thing that you love and not trying to fix an email list is I, I can, I can see the attraction of that and I can see why, why there is such a, a bewildering array of those tools on the, um, on the market, because I think you can Heath Robinson it up to a point and, and actually I think the, the likelihood of Heath Robinson sending it is higher if you are a bit techie because you kind of think, Oh, I can, I can put, do that. I can knock that together with some Excel automations, but actually end of the day, it's just, you're not getting paid for that work. Yeah. I never heard of Heath Robinsoning it. What's that? Heath Robinson was a, I think he was an artist or a cartoonist or something. And he, he basically drew really overly complicated inventions. So it's kind of, so it's kind of linked to, often, yeah. So kind of the idea of you know an extremely complicated invention that's been made out of things that aren't really designed to all work together. I've got a picture of a a boat. It, the picture I've got in my head is a boat that's got like wheels. So it right it dry, basically drives along the bottom of the sea. And there's a boat on the top, but the wheels kind of telescope. But yes, it's a it's. Fine reasonably esoteric reference sorry about that no and and you're right and I think that the reality is at the beginning use all the free stuff I mean maybe some people go and sign up and buy all the products before they've even got going but I think you should be making some money before you want to be investing in all of this techie techie stuff and MailChimp is free up to 2,000 people and you can get some pretty okay website platforms I was using Squarespace still using Squarespace and it's not very expensive at all Mm. You can do a lot for free or for or for relatively low cost. And I think you should do that before you're making proper money. But you're right. It then comes a point where it's a false economy. And one of the growth, like one of the growth pains that I'm going through now is I have quite a lot of anxiety about money because of my childhood. And so I'm always quite scared about spending money. And what that looks like is me being nervous about investing in my business. Mm-hmm. So I spend time doing stuff that, to be honest, I should be getting somebody to help me with, right? There's probably like a day, a week's worth of work that I still do. That if I was being charged out to a client for that, or if I was creating a new product, or if I was generating more content to reach my 
audience and increasing my reach might actually see more financial returns for me mm-hmm. than writing the feedback report, scheduling meetings in my diary, proofreading a CRM email. And so I'm in this place of like having to kind of force myself to start investing in the things that I need to stop hampering how much I can grow because I don't have enough hours in the day and I'm not using those hours most productively but it's easier said than done when you're always worried about well okay I'm doing fine now but what if I don't have any paid workshops or what if nobody signs up or you know all Mm -hmm. of those things so so yeah it's definitely something that I'm kind of I'm, 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 I'm pushing myself towards and trying to be a bit braver and a bit more um bit more risk taking because I know that I'm probably stopping my growth just mm-hmm. because I'm a bit scared to spend the money I can, I can see yeah the, there's a point where essentially it's a it's a leveling up isn't it and the exactly and you have to do that in you have to do that in your head as much as you do with you know with anything else that you get you've got to actually accept okay I'm taking this to a different level now I'm gonna to have to let go of some stuff I'm gonna to have to trust somebody else to do some things yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to. And and, and, and the, the benefit is, in theory, you get really useful hours back where you're going to be able to make more money or you're going to be able to create more impact. Mm-hmm. But in order to give yourself back that time, you have to find a way to do it elsewhere. And that yeah. sometimes means paying. Yeah. You can't just get more efficient at some of those things. They just like they they, they just is amount of, amount of time that they take, and you can. I'm sure you're really good at automating this and doing that and making things as like smooth as they can. But it's also just a volume game too. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's one of the mantras that I often come back to is you know, there's no sense doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. And, you know, there's going to be a point where you could spend an awful lot of time trying to come up with a really slick way of doing something that maybe probably you shouldn't be doing. And, exactly. you know, yeah. So we're into the home stretch now, Alice, and I would like you to complete the sentence. Do yourself a favour and... Well, this is a little bit personal development empowerment meme, but I think fundamentally do yourself a favour and take initiative to go after the things that you want. And... I think there are a lot of people that have a lot of dreams, that have a lot of capability, that have amazing stories to tell, who think, oh, no, I can't do that. No, Mm -hmm. I I won't be able to succeed. Or they kind of settle. And that's also okay because not everybody needs to be being a badass unicorn, striving and pushing themselves and whatever because everybody's on their own journey and doing their own thing. But I just think there's so much untapped potential mm-hmm. and my kind of biggest the, the, the biggest driver for me would for why I do what I do and why I want to help people is I don't want people to get to 55 and be working in a job that they hate and think I've just pissed away the past 25 years and I'm not really happy with where I am and I wish I'd done this I wish I tried that I wish I had gone out on my own or I wish I had retrained because I think a lot of the time we stop ourselves from doing that because we're worried about oh well if I retrain and I'm going to lose two years but what's Mm -hmm. two years in a 40 50 year career and I think that having happiness at work I don't know if it's a human right but I think it's something that we all deserve but we have to take responsibility for creating that happiness ourselves we can't expect it to be given to us and unfortunately that does mean 
putting yourself out there, hard work, often all of those, mm -hmm. all of those types of things. So yeah, a little, little bit of that, I think. And I think there's something, I mean, you say, you know, calling it humor writers a bit strongly, but it always surprises me that the number of people who would say they actively enjoy their job is very much a minority. And the conversations that, you know, I've, I've been party to where someone's gone, yeah, I really enjoy my job. Everybody else is kind of like, oh, well, you're so lucky. You know, while it shouldn't necessarily be like in the Geneva Convention, I do <laughs> wonder whether actually we could strive for more people to not actively dislike what they do for eight hours a day, five days a week at the bare minimum. And actually people who enjoy their jobs are more productive and work harder and deliver more. So feels like a win-win. Yeah, I completely agree. And what you realise is, is that everybody's good and enjoys different things. So what floats your boat might not float mine and mm -hmm. might not float somebody else's. But there's probably enough of us that like different aspects of all of the different jobs that there are, that if we just find the thing that lights our fire, mm -hmm. we're putting our strengths and our values and our passions in the right place that there's kind of like enough to go round almost. Mm, yeah. I think as well, there's, there's something, there's something that I was starting to appreciate towards the, the end of my, my cor corporate time in corporate where for many years, I felt like there was a sort of sense that with, with performance development and, you know, appraisals and that whole cycle and so on, that it was a case of identifying your gaps and then working on those gaps so that you could, and it was like, the job was to make everybody a completely rounded person who was good at everything. And as a result, for many years, I always had development areas around attention to detail and project management because I'm a bad project manager. And after a while, I kind of like, I don't think I'm ever going to be good at it. And I'm not really interested in being good at it. That's not to say that, you know, if you want to be good at something, you should just accept that, you know, you're not naturally good and you couldn't, you know, that's all fixed mindset thing. You know, if you want to be good at something, then practice, great. But if you're not that interested in it and you're not good at it, then maybe concentrate on your strengths and just like buddy up with someone who's got, who fills that gap. Or find a new job that plays your strengths and doesn't expose your weaknesses. So I, I completely agree with you. And when I was in the marketing role at Deliveroo, they wanted me to be good at analytics and Excel. It's just not my bag. I wasn't getting to use half of the strengths that I had around facilitation and public speaking and emotional intelligence and leadership and coaching and all of the things that I get to do now. I was in the wrong job. Mm. So I think finding a job that aligns to your strengths, your strengths being not just what you're good at, but also what motivates you, what energizes you, what you enjoy is going to make you more productive, happier, and it's going to give more to the company as well, because you're kind of firing on all cylinders as opposed to, oh, God, I really don't want to have to stick my head in that Excel spreadsheet again. Yeah, absolutely. 100 percent. Make your spike spikier, I say. Yeah. So, Alice, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for, for that. Where can people find you? So the best place to find me is probably on my Instagram, just because that's where I share the kind of warts and all story and I, I post fairly regularly so that's at badass unicorn co i'm also on linkedin alice tahar and then my website is www.badassunicorn.co.uk lovely 
Thank you for being on Do Yourself a Favour and thank you for listening. We will um, see you again soon. You've been listening to Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. Brought to you by Make Work Work Better. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better. Our theme tune is by The Titanics. Talk to you again soon.